Investors, take care. One Alexander Graham Bell has just patented a contrivance which he claims will allow verbal conversation over telegraph lines. He is presently seeking financing to test his devilish contraption, the telephone, in Brantford, Ontario. Good Christians know that the conveyance of audible messages has its roots in the herald angels of the Bible. Although town criers could never be reduced from primary messengers to mere ceremonial announcers, it is incumbent upon responsible financiers to treat this telephone as a frivolous toy. Therefore, I implore you, support your town crier and say nay to Bell's invention. Cried forebodingly this 10th day of April, 1876. God bless the empire's great traditions. God save the queen. Welcome to the Social Business Hangout featuring Robert Levine, your social business mentor. The Social Business Hangout podcast series is available on iTunes. This podcast was recorded in front of a live audience. Welcome, everybody. This is the Social Business Hangout. My name is Robert Levine, your social business mentor, and with me today is... David McKee. And David, we are currently broadcasting from Brantford, Ontario, and you have the distinct honor of being our town crier. And for those of you listening to this podcast, we kicked off the podcast with one of your town criers. Give me a bit of the history of what is a town crier. And I think you kind of alluded to it a bit with the opening when we talked about Alexander Graham Bell and the telephone. So walk me a bit through that. Well, every um, civilization throughout history has had some sort of official messenger. And uh, that official messenger has been the voice of the authorities. Um, the authorities themselves often did, uh, you know, did their own uh, announcements. But if that message were needed to be carried to um, other areas or to a broader um, population, then the official messenger's job was to do that. So uh, throughout history, uh, you can see that. And now, as far as town crying here in Canada goes, it, it rooted itself from essentially from ancient Greece through uh, Italy and France and, you know, across the English Channel to Great Britain, across the Great Pond to uh, us in North America. And uh, so that's, uh, that was the very beginning of it. Actually, there's a neat little story about uh, the uh, the message that was brought at the time of the great uh, the battle um, of Marathon, and the message was brought back to Athens about the uh, the results of the war. And I don't know, you know what the uh, the messenger said when he got to uh, Athens? No. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that, to, to your point, back in those days, you know, we're talking uh, some of the stuff predates print in the sense of the only way you can get information to the masses, you know, and we call this a social business hangout. We talk a lot about social media. You know, we take it for granted that nowadays I put in a hundred characters in my phone and the rest of the world gets to see it. Yeah. Back in the day, 
it, 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 you know, the, the old telephone tag of, of sharing messages, the message got broken down quite a bit. And the, the role of the messenger was to make sure that the specific message got relayed as the authority. You were speaking for the king. You were That's speaking right. for the mayor. That's right. The, 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 town, cri- the town crier actually was a, was a, a step down from the uh, royal herald. The herald would uh, broadcast would well would cry out a message from the king um, and uh, the lords of the the land the uh, you know the, whoever had the castles that the you know the, that were next step down from the king then they would have their own heralds in many cases or their own criers if they had villages that they were looking you know, and the criers would uh, would be in the villages or in the cities. Some cities uh, would have multiple criers uh, working and they'd, uh, if the city was big enough, a city like London, England, for instance, or, uh, or Chester or uh, in, in England, which is one of my favorite places to go, was in an old Roman city, and I just love doing town crying there. It's it's great, as well as a place like Shrewsbury in England is another place that would have had multiple town criers. So the message would be uh, disseminated from the uh, from the herald to the um, to the uh, to lower ranking heralds in the, with the lords of the castles and, and the uh, lords of the uh, shires, and then that message would would be. Uh, sent on further through the uh, the town criers. Yeah. Quite often when we talk about, especially in marketing terminologies, we talk about word-of-mouth campaigns. Really, right. the town crier was the genesis of yeah. word-of-mouth. That was the ultimate first degree of connectivity. They were the ones that broadcast, and, and that from there, you know, the message went viral, for lack of a better term. Right, and the me- and they had to be uh, accurate. You know, this is another thing. And so not all, uh, even not all, not there were times when the town criers themselves couldn't read, and they had to have it up here, and the message had to get out. They had to have it in their brain to you know, get that message out. But most of them were 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 able to read. Mm. Most of them were able to read, and they would frequently take their message and they would broadcast it outside a local pub because the pubs were the hangouts, right? And then when they were done, they frequently they would also instead of having it on a scroll such as I use or such as many other town criers use, they would often have it on parchment uh, that would uh, then be uh, nailed up on a post, and, and we're, hence the uh, term that we use, posting a notice. Mm-hmm. And they would then uh, be, the publican would uh, because they he did you know brought business to the uh, his pub because everyone would have to go in and discuss the news of the day. Um, then the publican would frequently uh, reward the uh, the town crier with a yard of ale. So it's it's quite apropos that after the the social business hangout that we're actually going to hit the pub and have well, have a nice uh, have a nice beer. Yeah, you know it's a funny thing what about some of the traditions of town crying as well. One of the one of the great traditions was that um, the uh, that when the first batches of beer would come out, that the town crier was the uh, official ale tester. <laughs> so so as, the, as the brewery produced its next batch of, uh, of ale, then the uh, town crier would go to, uh, would go to the, uh, the, to the tavern or whatever, wherever they were selling, you know, giving it, and he would get a free one just to check it out and make sure it was all right. You know, it's kind of funny, <laughs> you bring that up, and you know, nowadays we live in the world of, of clout and influencers and you know people giving given test drives of cars because they're going to then talk about it to their friends or write about it whether or not that's in the press or on blogs and whatnot. right 
What you just described there, you as a town crier back in the era would have been the influencer in this particular example, Ale. Yeah. You, you know, that you were the person that basically validated uh, the perception of whatever. So, you, you know, outside of the formality of it, the town criers also kind of like had a side gig, I, I would suspect, to be the influencers for whatever messaging, like you were the original marketer. Well, exactly. And the town crier actually um, frequently did not get an awful lot of money from the community. Um, did get some money, but not very much necessarily. But um, often augmented that, is, as do modern media, through advertising businesses. And in town crier competitions, it's frequently um, it's frequently assigned a, a, that. Uh, I'll, actually, I'll give you an example. Yeah, go for it. Um, there's a, a competition that happens. Uh, it, it stopped for a few years, but it's going to be restarted, I believe, in Marshville at uh, the Marshville Heritage Festival down in Waynefleet. And the first cry that we do in the competition is uh, is something that you know a hometown cry where we can broadcast things about our own hometown. The next two cries they call commercial cries, and we actually reach into a hat and pull out business cards, two two business cards for crafters that have businesses that, that are actually selling crafts at the uh, at the festival. We then have to go to those businesses and find out what we can about them. Prepare a cry, and then the judges come. There's there's a, a time slot, you know, and there to be at this spot at this particular time, and we literally advertise the business. So you were basically doing Yelp reviews, you know, before sure. Yelp and stuff like that. Oh, right? sure. It was a, what, and I'll tell you the, the nice thing about that is that these crafters give us some of their product as uh, as a reward for doing this, and some of the things that that uh, I've received have just absolutely astounded me one of the crafters um, was a soapstone carver and gave me the most beautiful polar bear soapstone carving uh, and I and I checked out others of you know like, that looked very similar in other places and this thing must have been worth about 600 bucks yeah and they're not they're not light things either no no and we've uh, we've got we got a potato bin from a woodworker one time and uh, a spice rack and you know it just it's marvelous what they what these people have given us for uh, just for advertising their business you know and it's funny like i said part of when i talk about social business it's about giving a certain degree of transparency into what a business is about and yeah. quite often we talk about content marketing and blogging and terms like that. Mm -hmm. But what you just described there validates the fact that what we're doing right now is not anything that is just revolutionary new. We just have a, a much wider amplification of it. Yeah. But the basis of what we do, whether or not it's blogging, podcasts and stuff like that, talking about our business and the behind the scenes dates back oh, sure. so, so long. Now, you brought up two things that I want to talk about. The competitions. Okay. And you also talked about having to craft yourself the message because when we talk about passing uh, the message uh, let's say from the king that's typically worded uh, by someone and then you're just broadcasting that but you also go out there and write your own uh, yeah. I guess what would, you, what would you call it? Well it's just it's, I always think of town crying as being actually um, uh, a very complete art form uh, when I, and what I mean by that is that uh, research has to be done to, uh, to prepare the cry in the first place. 
So um, that that's important. Then then the uh, the writing of it, it has to be done artistically. Has to have a, a solid beginning, a solid end, and and uh, lots of stuff joining it in the middle. Um, in town crying competitions, it's it can be quite restrictive in a number of ways. In on the world um, uh, level in, in England, uh, the uh, they restrict our, our word count from seventy five to hundred words. Uh, our North, uh, in the North American guilds, and the um, I believe the Australian guild has followed this now too. Um, they we are one hundred to one hundred and twenty five words. So you have to get a complete message in in a relatively short number, a short time frame, while still and being artistic. While still being artistic, exactly. So there's no room for repetition. And if you want to get particularly uh, artistic, uh, you know, I I, I, I use that example of the alliterations using the B's, mm-hmm. the letter B, right? Well, I've done others using S and other things as well. Um, but it's um, I just want to see if I had any. Others with me? No, I didn't bring them. I thought I was. I well, to your to point be. about the one that it was literally every single word was bees. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You and know, and that's like 130 words of bees. Yeah. You know? Actually, it was 100. I can tell you how many because it's right here. It's 116 words. Yeah. And you look at that like I, I, I stare at it right now, and I'm like I, I would get tongue twisted just <laughs> looking at it, let alone trying to say it. And I think that goes back to the art form. When you and I were talking about the competition in the pre-show, there's no room for error. Whether or not it's no. a, a gotcha, you know, a frog in your throat or, or, or a mishap. Walk me through what a competition, because in, in Brantford specifically, you're formally the town crier of Brantford. Uh, but in other cities, you've got to earn that right. You know, it's not something that's just a sign. You've got to go through competitions. And as you say, yeah. there's the, the world stage and, and the provincial stage and so forth. Kind of right. walk me through some of the, some of that competition mindset. Okay, um, in a in a town crier competition, the uh, there are a number of categories that the judges have to be trained to uh, to, to watch for, and particular judges are assigned to listen or or uh, observe um, these various things. So one of them is. Um, the uh, deportment of the town crier, the uh, you know confidence bearing, uh, that sort of thing, the presentation, the actual pr- a- the acting side. Okay, so right down that, to what you're wearing as well. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The whole the whole works when it comes to that. Another one uh, it, it will be uh, listening for the clarity. Okay, so the, the enunciation has to be proper. Uh, the not only that. Um, it, it, there, you know, if there's grammatical errors and that kind of thing, you can run into some challenges there too with some of the judges. And then you have uh, the actual call content, um, which has which you've researched, uh, your, you know, which the town crier has researched and then uh, written something um, that's very. Uh, I'm trying to think here for the right word, but it, that's that's. Contextually accurate, a, yeah, accurate and artistic, mm. yeah. So it's it, it, there's a lot involved, uh, and you, judges typically, uh, and as most people do, they appreciate humor. If you know, if, if, so if you can write something that is that gets the point across and is funny at the same time, then you've probably done something that's really worthwhile. So uh, in uh, our Ontario Guild here, the the content itself is weighs is weighted heaviest in the scoring. So that is important, <laughs> big time. You know, we've got to get it right. Uh, and oh, and then the other one is there's a there's somebody that actually reads along 
And if you stray from the content of what you've written, um, add a word, drop a word, or anything of that nature, then um, you, you lose. Now, are you reading during the contest, or is that memorized at that point in time? Well, I, I, you're supposed to be reading it. Uh, but when I'm in a competition, I've got, I usually have everything, sub because you have to submit the cries in advance. And then they do word count, because you have to be within the word limits. So they so they're submitted in advance. Word count is done. Um, you get there. They've already got the cry. The judge that's going to be reading along has the cry in front of him or her. Uh, so um, I forget what your question. Sorry. No, I, I guess yeah. uh, just to, to to move it along because yeah. I know we got a, a lot to talk about. The, when you look at a competition such as that, it's not just as you say getting the words right. Uh, yeah. memorizing it versus reading it accurately. Yeah. It's literally, uh, it's a show. It, yeah. you know, and we kind of talked is. about this uh, in the pre-show, and we'll get to it in a bit. You know, you're a showman when yeah. all is said and done. Right. right now, your chosen profession is that of a town crier. And when I think of a ingenious, like, I'll be honest, I had not come across a town crier until I moved to Brantford. Right. And, and what I love about Brantford is it reminds me of, of the old ways in many ways. Right. We, we have such unique things that you don't see in a Toronto, or they may be there, but you just don't come across it. Right. To, to, to have a town crier be part of your marketing campaign, if you were in, in L.A. or something like that, would stand out. Oh, well, and there is a town crier in L.A. Um, yeah, I'm blanking on his name right now, but... Um, there's one, you, you came from Ottawa, I believe, right? Originally, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, then uh, Danielle Richet is the town crier for Ottawa and for the National Capital Region uh, for Gatineau. And so uh, he's, um, Danielle is uh, Metis. And uh, so he has, uh, and he's got, because of the National Capital affiliation, he's got federal dollars behind him. <laughs> so he, he does very well indeed. Uh, does that come uh, into play during the competitions, obviously? Like, is there a certain degree, not, not, not to look too much behind the veil, but is there a certain degree of there's the pros and then there's the amateurs and then there's the sponsored ones, for lack of a better term? Well, you know, some people, I think every town crier who officially represents their city, who's been officially assigned, I, I think they should be able to call themselves a professional town crier. However, some um, some people think that it's only if you're making money that you know at it. But there's town. There are some communities where the town criers um, are not paid anything, you know, and um, or or they get such a modest amount of money for anything that they, they, they can, there's no way they could do it unless they had yeah. some other dollars behind them. But I, I think you, what you brought up there, you know, no different than me doing the podcast, let's say. It's a way of me getting my name out there in many ways. Yeah. Doing the town crying is a, uh, a segue to your primary business. You, you know, it's a way of advertising yourself. You're out in the community. Every major event you're there, whether or not it's Canada Day, the launch of a, 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 of a special exhibition, or, or the list goes on. So you are very much not only a voice, but you are a presence. And you know, let's be honest, when, like when I emcee an event, you know, and there's you know, 100 people, 500 people, or not. They now know that I exist, whereas if you were not the person up front, they wouldn't know, right? right. So there's something to be said. It is, I don't want to be, uh, it's part of your marketing for your other business. Yeah, and it's, uh, it, and I had tried to make it part of a marketing for a previous business when I first became Town Crier because at that time, 
Um, I had uh, come off the road being an entertainer and was working for Hooten Security Systems here in Brantford uh, in sales. And, um, and then uh, later Hooten, got, uh, Hooten Security Systems was bought by Daymar. So uh, I worked for Daymar for several years uh, before I retired from there uh, in 2003. But um, when um, it was in back in 1990 that the uh, Chamber of Commerce put in their InTouch magazine that they wanted to have a town crier. Uh, to celebrate their 125th anniversary, in in, which was to uh, take place in uh, 1991. And um, they, so they put in the in-touch, they said, anybody is interested, you know, then they thought, because it would just be this tie-in with the past and present, you know, that kind of attitude, right? So I thought, eh, okay, I was in the entertainment business for many years, uh, sounds like it could be a lot of fun, uh, you know, and then I got thinking, you know, maybe it'll even be a good networking tool, you know, it might just be a good networking tool, so let me, let me have a crack at it. So I went down to the chamber office and auditioned, and next thing you know, I'm the town crier for the Chamber of Commerce for the year 1991. The funny thing is that the networking part of it didn't work quite the way I thought it would because when I would go to various functions of the uh, of the chamber, people weren't particularly interested in talking about security systems to the guy dressed like this. They were more interested in talking about town crying. Mm. So uh, I got to be known as uh, the town crier for the Chamber of Commerce, but uh, to, to actually uh, chit-chat with people about, uh, you know, whether you wanted to get a, a, you know, a nice uh, fire system installed in your business or not, well, that became, <laughs> that became a challenge. But what, what it did do, though, was as time went on, and, and after I became officially the crier for the city in, uh, in 92, that was in May of 92, the um, people would be sitting across from me at a, you know, a, in a, like you and me right now, you know, sitting beside each other, you know, I'd be telling them about alarm systems, you know, on, on an appointment. In a suit. And they, that they yeah, yeah, and they'd be looking at me like, you know, and finally I'd let them off the hook and let, yeah, they'd say, you know, I think I've seen you somewhere before, you know, yeah, yeah well, could be in the paper, <laughs> you know. Well, and I think that goes back to my point, it's that familiarity factor, you know, you might not get the networking right there on the spot, as you say, because people are either more interested in talking about sure. the garb or, 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 or yeah. what you actually just talked about, Sure. but when all of a sudden you're out and about, it's, it's very hard pressed, like... In, in a given year, with all the events you do, you're exposed to so many people in the city. It's, it's like everybody in the city would know, for the most part, who you are, just because they've been to probably an event that you were crying at. Certainly a lot do, uh, and, and certainly more than when I started. It used to be, uh, you know, people used to come up to me and, you know, they'd, especially young people, you know, they'd come up, who are you supposed to be, you know, which... Yeah, yes, well, I am the town crier for Brantford, you know, and then, then it'd be, what's a town crier? Now uh, it's gotten to the point where they say, you know, this is our town crier. So, you're, 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 so it's really gotten to so the point. So the Generation Y is aware they've been educated enough because of that exposure. Yes. About the Local, value of what... Or what and it's happened throughout the, throughout the province, too. Our, when I joined the Guild, the Ontario Guild of Town Criers, uh, in 1992, the... Um, we our membership was somewhere around 20 21 something like that members 
we're now up to, including some uh, honorary members, we're now up to 55. Wow. Yeah. And so there's a lot of criers around the province. And people, a lot of people still sort of say, you know, well, I didn't know we had town criers. Well, um, there's, there's quite a few out there. Yeah. Now, we brought this up earlier. You know, you have been, you know, you talked about back with the Chamber of Commerce, how you went from being uh, in, in, in show business yeah. to becoming the town crier. Um, as a parallel to, to, to your profession, now that you're retired, you've kind of gone full circle back to your show business days. Yeah. And the town crier is almost secondary now, isn't it? Well, I wouldn't say it's secondary, but it's just another something else. You know, I, I don't like to think of it as secondary because I do a lot of work, uh, especially especially the research and the writing, mm. you know, I mean, and, I, and I'd like to uh, do more writing actually as, as well. That's another thing I do that I really didn't mention to you earlier. Uh, you know, I, I like, I've written some uh, some pieces, they haven't been published, but, you know, there's, we'll have to see if one day uh, I become, write the great Canadian novel or not. But... Um, when it comes to the entertainment side of things, uh, yes, I, one of the reasons I decided to uh, to, to retire uh, early and early enough was that I could get back to uh, the entertainment thing again and just um, see if there was any chance that I could uh, bring shows to people. And when I had this, I had this idea that the, there was an aging population out there. Uh, people that were my age uh, and maybe a little older and even in some cases a little younger that were into the um, the kind of music that I thought I could put together some shows. Um, so I started doing these tribute shows. And so uh, I, they're musical mostly, but I also do some, some monologue things. I do, for instance, the cremation of Sam McGee, the Robert Service Bone. Um, I have another piece uh, called The Timekeeper that I do. And uh, these these monologues I can insert into a show, and it just adds a, uh, a variance to the uh, presentation. But the mu musically, I do tributes to Al Jolson, Louis Armstrong, Jimmy Durante, Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby, Perry Como, Dean Martin, uh, Nat King Cole, uh, <laughs> Jack Jones. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of people that uh, whose songs I do, and I call them tribute shows. Not that I'm doing impressions necessarily. But the songs are in the style of that entertainer. So, because I can't do a Frank Sinatra impression, even though he's my favorite out of all the ones that I, and the one that I got to meet, I can do an impression of, except that, um, you know, the color could be a little bit of a problem for Louis. <laughs> As I got to, I met Louis Armstrong twice and in my life and got his autograph both times. <laughs> and it was a great experience. Were you able to do the impression to him? Yeah, it was funny. Uh, I went into this room. Uh, there was a there was a reception after the concert at the, the old O'Keefe Center. You know the O'Keefe where yeah. the O'Keefe Center in Toronto. And um, nervy kids, my sister and I, we uh, she had given me the tickets. Uh, two tickets uh, for my birthday that year. I can't remember how old I was, whether uh, 19, 20, 21, I don't know. And she. Um, but there was a condition on the tickets that she, you know, it wasn't to take my girlfriend. I had to take her because my sister was a trumpet player. So uh, we went to, we went after the concert was over. Uh, we went start around the O'Keefe Center just trying doors, and we found one that was open. 
So we walked in the door, you know, and walked through the hallways like we owned the place. Yeah, nobody, always act like he belonged. Nobody said anything to us. We saw this light down a, high, down a long hallway and voices coming from there. And it sounded like a party. So we thought, hmm, okay. So we kept on walking. And yep, yeah, it was a reception with the whole band. So there was, you know, Tyree Glenn, the trombone player, uh, Danny Barcelona, the, the drummer. Uh, there was uh, uh, um, Sid uh, Catlett, the uh, the bass player. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, there was. You know, the, it was just an amazing. But all these New Orleans jazz musicians that were stars in you know in, the, in that Dixieland era. And so we went in, and Satchmo was over, uh, standing on one side to the right as we went in, and there were some people coming in. And so I walked up, and I go, Skimmy me, Daddy. And he, he looked at me like this, and he does the thing, you know, like he always did. He goes, this cat's trying to steal my thunder. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I got to do it. That was fun. But um, <laughs> I, was, I was thinking, am I going to get thrown out of here for this? <laughs> well, you know, one way or the other, you're going to do it. Right? Oh, yeah. Well, I got, yeah. And, and then I got to meet him a second time when he played um, the Imperial uh, Tavern in, uh, in Toronto. Um, on that uh, was on Bloor Street. It no longer exists. But uh, they, they used to book in some pretty big name entertainers into this nightclub. And uh, I got to see him there as well. And again got to shake his hand you know that was great it's those memories there's something you brought up in the pre-show and it was actually the the part where you got the most passionate we don't have that level of showmanship that we used to have and and as soon as we were talking about that you you literally exclaimed it's coming back it's got to come back for those that have never experienced the vaudeville era you know the 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 stuff that we were talking about in the pre-show what are some of those things that we should bring back to entertainment? The personal contact with the audience, I think. Um, that's been one of the things that's missing. Um, there's one thing. Music is one thing. You know, I mean, you, you can go to a symphony. You can, you, can, you can watch music on television. There's too many, too many entertainers now. Are, um, too many entertainers now are just, uh, they might as well be on television. They, they stand on the stage, and too many of them don't even look like entertainers. I mean, my God, you, you see them dressed in, uh, you know, ripped rip blue jeans, and, and uh, they, they just, uh, I mean, that's okay for a certain effect for certain people, but they, they've lost the pizzazz. As I explained to you in the pre, pre-show uh, chat, um, my belief has always been that show business should be show busy. And um, if you if you're going to make if you're going to make a splash, you know you can you know Michael Jackson did that. I mean he was great. What a you know and he and I think I believe he made personal contact with audiences. Uh, you know and it's really great when you can do that because you need to have some kind of a feedback and the the exchange of uh, the exchange of entertainment should go two ways. And so you you know you got to feel you can feel the the uh, the audience you can feel that audience's affection for you you can feel their their enthusiasm for what you're doing uh, if you're willing to give to them. Mm-hmm. You know when you mentioned that I brought up a memory and I've seen it on multiple videos of Bono of you two pulling a, a girl from the audience and singing to her. Yeah, you know exactly. And just watching her face yeah. just. Yeah. melt yeah. yeah I had a funny thing happen one time uh, there was a girl um, 
I was playing on the airport strip. I can't remember which club it was on the airport strip. And uh, this girl, uh, between sets, she came over and she says, Hi, do you remember me? And I'm looking at her and thinking, Well, not really. No, sorry. You know, well, you sang to me. I said, and this was like in late summer or something, right? And, the, and I said, well, when was that? She says, well, it was like last January in Sault Ste. Marie. You know, I said, oh my God. But it's <laughs> left that lasting impression yeah. on that one person. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's funny you mentioned that. Like one of my fondest memories is I won a contest back in like 88 and I got to sing backup vocals for Iron Maiden in front of like right. 15,000 people in Ottawa. Yeah. And I became and still am a devout fan purely for that. Here's a band that brought five, ten people on the stage, yeah. you know, to, to participate on the song and then shoot them off the stage afterwards. And you don't see that stuff anymore. You know, no. it's not, it's so, as you say, you might as well just be broadcasting it. Yeah, one, um, we, one of the town crier events, uh, one of the big places for competitions is uh, the Tulip Time Festival in Holland, Michigan. And uh, they, it's not an annual thing. It, it happens every once in a while. And when they all, one of the things they do there is they always have the, um, the town criers get, get tickets to go to um, one of the shows that they've got broadcast during this festival. It's an amazing festival, by the way. And uh, this one time we, uh, we got to go to see uh, Jim Neighbors. Mm. Now, remember what Jim Neighbors was like, you know, with his, you know, hick, hick, his hick sort of talking thing, right? But then he had this amazing singing voice. Mm-hmm. You call well, he'd, right? do, he'd do the Indy 500. Yeah. He was, a, he was just a, he was astounding. Well, anyway, he sang the song. I, I only remember this song uh, called My Wife the Stripper that was, uh, it was put out by Engelbert Humperdinck years ago. Anyway, uh, he sang that song. And first thing he did, though, was he invited women to come up on the stage and my wife jumped at the opportunity and ran up to the stage she, she said she thinks she knocked over about three old ladies on route and he gave them all these boas and they had to dance around swinging these these colors she still got the boas you know and swinging these boa this boa around like this and, and he's singing this song she did the bump bump Bump, buddy, bump. You know, it's a funny, funny uh, bit. But anyway, yeah, I mean, the audience just just went nuts. It was great, yeah. you know. And I think that's, you know, when I talk a lot about, you know, social business, social media, and, and all the stuff that, it's that resurgence of that personality, that resurgence yeah. of that connectivity. Correct. Because I think many ways prior to social media and you know prior to the podcast you were saying to prepare for this you actually listened to the interview with my dad who's about your age as well and you know he doesn't know social media or whatnot but when through that conversation he started getting it we for many years we were isolated as communities you know and now we have such a reach and such an ability to share stories and I think it's those stories that resonate with people. So to your example, your wife will forever remember that boa. Well, she still got it. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to forget. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you're right. Um, yeah, she, uh, she, she was a big fan of his at that point. <laughs> and a fan yeah. for life. Yeah. 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 I always use this opportunity as we wind down the podcast. Is there anything that we have not talked about that you want to bring up? Um. Well, I would like to, I think, let people know that these tribute shows that I do are, are very special to me. And if there's anybody in service clubs, 
uh, or if they uh, or any of the uh, retirement communities or any or the adults only communities if anybody from the, those groups are, are listening to the the podcast I would be I'd, I'd be absolutely thrilled to hear from them and uh, see if there's any chance to perform those tribute shows because I know they would enjoy them and I've even had young people that have I couldn't believe I was playing in Bradford, you know the the, mm-hmm. the place that's always mistaken for Bradford. I was it was a street festival, and these girls who were about sixteen, seventeen years old were out there, and they were doing you know a, a Rockettes type of kick line thing to one of the songs that I was doing, and I called them up, you know, on the, uh, up with me, and so we they they became my uh, my dancers. Uh, you know, in the in this uh, little presentation that I was doing, I did uh, one of the songs I did in there was New York, New York. So I introduced them as the Rockettes for that. And uh, they, yeah, I mean, it's uh, even young people enjoy the stuff and given the opportunity to hear it. I, I think you just summed up something really there because they've been separated from that for so long. And yeah. It's not something they're supposed to. You know, you were saying earlier, you know, your target audience are the Zoomers. Yeah, I actually think your target audience are the Gen Ys, those that have just dealt with bland, prepackaged, auto-tuned yeah. crap. Yeah, you know that some of that crap, and when you think about it, is um, is it's the fault of the recording companies. They actually some of the recording companies, and I believe it's all the pretty much all the major ones, now actually take a song and run it through a computer and the computer decides if the thing's going to be has hit qualities or not Mm -hmm. what a pile of gunk that is the beatles would have never been famous oh they no they you're right i mean what can you imagine led zeppelin can you imagine yeah well yeah can you imagine george martin paying it you know like oh my he would have just oh bob dylan right well (laughs) dylan my god especially that voice you know i mean he he wasn't a great singer but what a great songwriter and i think that's kind of the point it's that overall presence and you know we were talking going back to the town crier it's not just the oh yeah oh yeah it's not just the cry that's right it's not just the outfit no. it's not research not just the researching of the business or of the society or the city that you're you're proclaiming right it's all of it yes and when you're able to package that up well and be passionate about it you win yeah and the, the community wins in the, in the case of the town crier because it's easier to promote i've i've been interviewed in the press in so many places now uh, bbc one and two uh some of the uh, radio radio stations in england uh, the independence as well as uh, the press over there as well as uh, in uh philadelphia i was in, i had a, one of my cries was actually published uh, in, in the, the book? In no, not that no. one. No, this is in Philadelphia, in, in the, one of the newspapers in Philadelphia, and they and there was a, a when the American Guild of Town Criers was formed, they held a, a competition, and I won that competition. Um, they gave me actually, they gave me this bell on a stand. And I can't believe me, they gave me this bell that was that was cracked. I, I don't know why they give me a cracked bell. The <laughs> yes, yeah. the Liberty Bell. Yeah, <laughs> you brought up something at the end there that I want to make sure you're a multi-time champion. Now, what's That's the actual correct. title? Well, well, the on the world on the provincial championships. Yes, I've I've won five times now. Mm-hmm. Um, I plan to win six in June. And um, you have and, my support. And um, on the. Uh, 
Now, on the North American level, I've been uh, second numerous times, and in the world level, I've been second twice, and uh, second, fourth, seventh, tenth, twentieth. <laughs> <20th. laughs> yeah, you know, all all depends on which 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 one which competition. But I've been uh, yeah ranked number two in the world uh, a couple of times, and I was the number one ranked North American crier. Um, in uh, from the from for what six years I think it was. Yeah. So to your point, whether or not you're looking for a town crier to give uh, your business a slightly different spin in terms of marketing, yeah. or you just want to be entertained like an old-fashioned way, you're the person that they should reach out to. Oh, that'd be nice if they did. Yeah. I'd be uh, more than happy. Reintroduce yourself. I am David McKee, duly appointed official and town crier for the fair historic city of Brantford, the telephone city, North America's first Nations in Bloom World Champion, tournament capital of Ontario, and birthplace of Walter Gretzky. <laughs> and I'm Robert Levine, your social business mentor. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Social Business Hangout. My name is Robert Levine, and you can reach me at socialbusinessmentor.com. The Social Business Hangout podcast series is available on iTunes. I'd like to thank my guest, David McKee. This podcast was recorded in Brantford, Ontario in front of a live audience.